Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans, and hosting with me today is Virginia Allen. Welcome, Virginia. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. We have a great show for you today. On today's Problematic Women, Kanye West's album has officially dropped, and it's making waves in Hollywood. We sit down with The Daily Signal's editor-in-chief, Kate Trinko, to talk about banned Halloween costumes and how the far left is trying to make even periods gender-neutral. And as always, we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on iTunes and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. Well, hip-hop artist Kanye West's album and movie has officially dropped, and as promised, we are here to tell you all about it. Fifteen years ago, Kanye West spoke these words in the song Jesus Walks from his first album, The College Dropout. And I don't think there's nothing I can do now to right my wrongs. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. So if you had trouble hearing what Kanye was saying, or if you're not familiar with the song, those lyrics read, And I don't think there is anything I can do now to right my wrongs. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoke in so long. So on Friday, he released his highly anticipated album, Jesus is King, after his recent public conversion to Christianity. References to God and biblical imagery have been present in Kanye's music since his work's inception, but this album really takes things to a different level by centering it around the message of the gospel. So Lauren, I think, you know, this week I maybe have caught you once or twice listening to the album, maybe. And, you know, I guess I would call you a Kanye <laughs> fan, just a little. So your your honest reaction to the album. Go. It's amazing. <laughs> it is so good. I think I've listened to it at least 40 times. <laughs> it's, it's a really short album, so I probably listened to it twice an hour. It is just it's the lyrics are beautiful the music it, it gets me hyped just in the studio listen that clip i was like oh i was dancing i was feeling it i've always been a kanye fan can't believe jesus walks came out 14 years ago that a makes me feel really old but i've always kind of appreciated how his faith came from his mother and he was willing to wear it on his sleeve but his lyrics were always really kind of crude so it was kind of confusing but to see him come full circle and claim to be saved and release this album that is completely clean as you heard in that clip it actually includes scripture references and it's dope it's like it's so great to listen to so yeah i'm i'm just so excited and i'm sorry to all my friends and family the past week (laughs) pretty much anytime i talk to you i just like have you listened to kanye what do you think (laughs) do you have a favorite song on the album yeah god is it starts with like a, a gospel tune and then, like, in the middle, it's just, like, oh, it hits, and it, it just gets me so hyped. <laughs> well, my favorite is what I have been referring to as the Chick-fil-A song, but it's actually called Closed on Sundays. But 
pretty much just about Chick-fil-A. Can you tell us the one line of that song that everyone's been quoting? The lemonade line. Yeah. <laughs> You're my number one with the lemonade. Oh, just, oh, it's amazing. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. But, you know, many are commenting about the album and they they don't have very nice things to say. He's gotten some pushback. So many are commending the album for its artistic contributions to Christian hip hop and its unapologetically religious overtones. And Christian rapper Lecrae took to Twitter saying, regardless of how you feel about hashtag Kanye West, the content is refreshing to hear. God will get his glory and hashtag Jesus is king. But some are skeptical of the legitimacy of Kanye's conversion or his understanding of Christian theology. Oliver Wang from NPR wrote, West, who just six years ago literally declared, I am a God on record, can't spin that feel out of thin air. On the new On God, he tries to turn his narrative around, insisting that all his material success is on God, i.e. because he's accepted Jesus. This is classic prosperity gospel, premised on the shaky belief that net worth is a metric for spiritual salvation. So, Lauren, how do you think we should approach the criticism that is being raised of Kanye? I mean, as always, when it comes to faith-related issues, we should be somewhat cautious and not to follow a false idol. But I think Kanye has been genuine. We're going to talk more about some of the things that he did surrounding his album that adds to his credibility of really being born again. And I don't think you can hold things that he said six years ago against him if you know, there's this a phrase in, in Christianity being born again. If he is a new person, we all make mistakes. And he's not saying that he was perfect his whole life. He's he's trying to start new and try, trying to start something different. So I think it's totally fine to be skeptical. But at the same time, you bring up a story like the prodigal son in the Bible, and it shows that when someone comes back to the Christian faith, you're supposed to bring them in with open arms. And I think as Christians and as people who really are looking for people's faiths to be lived out in American society and in pop culture, we should be embracing Kanye because at least he's trying and at least he's creating music that has a positive message. And I'm really hyped about this. I don't, I can't say it enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was interested. I was watching um, a carpool karaoke that James Gordon did with Kanye West this morning. And James Gordon asked Kanye that question of, you know, what would you say to people who are criticizing you and who are skeptical and are saying this can't really be real? You can't really have changed this much. And Kanye gave the analogy of, well, when you're sleeping at night, you're fully asleep. And that's a different state, a very different state than when you're awake during the day. And he said, you know, I, I was asleep in my sin, dead in my sin. This is biblical language. But now I'm awake and I've accepted Christ. And it's that reality of what Jesus does for us when we enter into relationship with him. There is supposed to be a stark difference between who we were and now who we are. And that can honestly be shocking to people that knew us beforehand. And for someone like Kanye West, who had such a who has such a massive following it is a little shocking because it's like, whoa, this guy isn't the person who he was even, you know, two years ago. And it can be a lot to swallow, but it kind of should be. It's supposed to be. And of course, there's going to be criticism. Like you said, like it's it's just kind of part of the industry. You're always going to have people that are critical of the work that you're producing. And I would honestly be concerned 
there weren't critics, like if everyone was 100% on board, I think it's it's healthy for us to you know experience some pushback and see things from the other side. But the album isn't all that Kanye has dropped recently. He revealed his newly changed tune on the issues of porn addiction and abortion recently. In an interview with Zane Lowe on Apple Music's Beat One Radio, Kanye shared the origins of his porn addiction and how it really affected his life. Like for me, Playboy was my gateway into full-on pornography addiction. My dad had a Playboy left out at age five. And it's affected almost every choice Mm. I made for the rest of my life Mm. from age five to now having to kick the habit. And it just presents itself in the open, like it's okay. And I stand up and say, you know, it's not okay. Kanye also took a stand against abortion in a recent interview with radio host Big Boy. We brainwashed out here, bro. Come on, man, this is a free man talking. Democrats had us voting Democrats for food stamps for years, bro. What are you talking about? Guns in the 80s, taking the fathers out the home, plan B, Lowering our votes, making us abort our children, God should not kill. So, Lauren, I want to ask you about both of these things. Let's uh, first address Kanye's comments on porn. In the past, Kanye has been very open in his support of and use of pornography. So how do you think his new view will be received by his audience? What influence might his message have to young men? I think his audience at first is going to be confused because, like you said, he's always been very supportive of pornography and and showing off people's bodies. I think he even had a naked painting of a lady on one of his album covers. But I think it's one of those issues that when you really talk to people, even the most fervent defenders, deep down in their hearts, they know there's something wrong about it. So I'm glad you brought up the point of what the effect will be on young men. And I think it'll help them kind of question and break out of this cycle of just thinking pornography is okay. And we talk actually a lot on this program about how it really just messes with your mind and it can affect your relationships even years and decades in the future. So good for Kanye that he stood up and changed his mind and publicly stated that this is something that I'm struggling with and it's something that it's it's really hard to break from. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful for someone that's so much in the spotlight to be taking a stand and for other young men to be able to look at that and and you know maybe they've never even thought anything of the porn addiction and it's just kind of like well everybody does it but for someone like Kanye West to be calling them higher it's pretty cool but what about his statement on abortion i mean do you think that Kanye West how wild that would that be if if Kanye West became this strong pro life influence do you think that's possible i think it's very possible and anyone involved with march for life Kanye West, if you're listening, please come for the March for Life in January in D.C. It is incredible. But it shows how God is able to work through people. And I think Kanye does have such so much clout. He's married to Kim Kardashian. He's on TV all the time. He just his one opinion on abortion can really sway a bunch of people's minds. I think how many people went to church this weekend because Kanye made it cool. And how many people are now having discussions about their faith because Kanye released this album? So Yeah, I think totally this could affect the pro-life movement and hopefully 
it does more to make the pro-life movement cool. On on the media all the time, it's kind of like old white men protesting outside of abortion clinics. But that's not true at all. The pro-life movement is is young. It's women. It's people who deeply care about the dignity of every human being from the time that they're in the womb to the time that they die and die a natural death. Yeah. But yeah, I just hope Kanye continues to use his voice to fight for positive things and things that are deeply ingrained in our American society and our Judeo-Christian beliefs. And as we mentioned earlier, Kanye also released a movie with this album. It's a 30-minute film that has no dialogue. It's just singing. And a crew of us from The Daily Signal went to see the film on Friday night and spent a long time afterwards talking about it. So Lauren, what, what was your reaction to Jesus is King? I love the album. I love Kanye. I didn't get the movie. <laughs> it was really short. We walked in at 6 p.m. and we were walking out of the theater at 6.30. It was an IMAX. It had really cool visual elements, lots of really beautiful scenery. It showed Bible verses in between songs. But there's just something about it that didn't really seem cohesive. And I enjoyed it, but I don't think I enjoyed it my $15 ticket worth. So... I don't know. I, I kind of like what he was doing. It was almost like something you'd go see in a museum and not as much a movie that you'd go see. What do you think, Virginia? No, that was my thought. I was like, this is a work of art. And I feel like if I was an art student, like I would be so excited and dissecting this and the various camera angles and how he used very unconventional kind of uh, style of filming, like very, very fascinating from an art perspective. But when it's Friday night, you just kind of want a good movie to be entertained. It was different. It was uh, not what I was expecting and and definitely very short. <laughs> it ended and the credits started rolling and I was like, oh, I guess 30 minutes are up. <laughs> That's all we get. But on Sunday, I had a buddy text me to alert me that the Sunday service, Kanye's kind of concert that he live streams fairly regularly was going to start. And that was two hours long. It was pretty much every song on the album. And some of his old songs, he played Jesus Walks. And that was amazing. I really wish that was just was in the IMAX. I think we would have been dancing in the aisles. It was beautiful. Kenny G was there. They had this really beautiful floral set. They definitely kept some aspects from the movie. They kind of projected the sky on the ceiling. Like in the movie, they kind of sang in this room with an open ceiling. So they, it did kind of tie in, but it's just a lot more high energy. And I think something the public could digest a lot more. So he does the Sunday services fairly irregularly. So you kind of just got to... Look for it at sundayservice.com. But if you have the opportunity to check it out, it was it was really cool. All right. Well, we will keep our eyes open for the next Sunday service. <laughs> Be sure to let you all know <laughs> when that's coming. So what is next for Kanye West? Well, it is Halloween, but of course, Christmas is right around the corner. And I'm sure some of you have already started listening to Christmas music. I'm resisting for another week or two. I have to hold off till we're just a little bit further into the season but for those who are big Kanye fans, you'll be very excited to hear that he is dropping a Christmas album. I don't know the exact date. Has he released the date, Lauren? I don't know. I heard Christmas Day, but I'm really hoping that's wrong and it comes out earlier. Yeah, that would be kind of weird to release it. Wait till Christmas Day. But it'd be such a Kanye thing to do. It would be. It would be. The album is called Jesus is Born. And if it does come out in December, I have a feeling that we will be listening to that quite a lot in the office course we'll be sure to chat about it on the show <laughs> i hope this is the first in the series too i hope easter there's a jesus has risen i'm just i'm all every holiday 
so for all of our wonderful listeners out there, if you have a favorite song from the album, be sure to tweet at us. Let us know what it is. Uh, we would we'd love to hear from you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we'll have Kate Trinko, editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, and also co-host of The Daily Signal podcast. And if you haven't heard of The Daily Signal podcast, I'd really recommend that you take a listen. It's one of my favorites, and it's really a way to kind of break through this 24-7 news cycle and just have a short, interesting podcast where they tell you the top news stories of the day. You get to listen to some really smart experts, great interviews, and they have some fun every once in a while, too actually on Tuesday's episode to talk about Kanye West. So make sure to go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really anywhere you get your podcasts. And it's available Monday through Friday mornings. Welcome back. Today we are excited to be joined by Kate Trinko, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Signal and co-host of the Daily Signal podcast. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. You recently published an article titled, quote, The False Hope of the Transgender Language Police that discussed how the transgender movement is trying to make periods gender neutral. The period pad brand Always has recently announced that they're taking off the Venus symbol. That's that little female symbol with the circle and the cross underneath on products because they're, quote, committed to diversity and inclusion and are on a continual journey to understand the needs of all consumers. Your article about this was great, Kate, because it was so sincere and passionate. I saw you as you were kind of writing it and getting the ideas and you were, I think. (laughs) I told you I was in, we were in a colleague's office and I was like, I'm trying to write an article about periods and I don't know how explicit I want to be. And like, this is also awkward. So why does this matter? I think a lot of people would be like, oh, it's simple. I think it matters for a few reasons. First of all, you know, we've just seen this increasing push to make things gender neutral that are not gender neutral. And this goes for pregnancy as well. You're beginning to see woke activists say like, well, men can get pregnant too. And (laughs) it really upsets me. Not again. I mean, in all seriousness, this is a topic I would have preferred to not publicly ever address. But because it's just so absurd. It's, you know, this is something that, you know, we live in an era where we say we cherish science. Well, scientifically, this is a thing that happens to female bodies and not to others. And I think it is something that changes women. I remember my mom telling me that it was going to happen and I was super grossed out. I remember my first one. There's been a lot of cramps since. And like, you know, I'm not trying to get TMI here, but it's something that, you know, you talk to women, maybe even women you don't know super well, like female colleagues, full disclosure, not generally these two women. But, you know, you can say, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm cramping really bad. And most women will immediately understand, will get it, will relate. And this is just not a gender neutral thing. You know, I mean, this is a uniquely female experience. And I'm sorry if people's feelings are being hurt because they wish it was otherwise. But let's stop pretending here. Kate, I was reading your article And I was thinking, never in a million years did I think that the far left would make me more of a feminist, more (laughs) a feminist. But it kind of it kind of has because you're like, oh, my goodness, is nothing sacred. Like, can can we just keep the period like that's our thing. Let's just (laughs) let's not have that be taken by, you know, by men, essentially. Mm -hmm. Man, it, it is. It's frustrating because it's something that's so basic. It's so simple. And it's sort of like a well, yeah, duh, women have periods. Men don't. And these things that once, not that long ago, seemed to be very clear and straightforward now are entering into all sorts of areas of gray. Right. Of course, you guys interviewed that feminist Natasha Chart recently and, you know, talked about how interesting it was that an avowed lefty feminist and the Heritage Foundation were getting together. So I think in some ways you are seeing 
with the transgender movement, this weird um, allyship between feminists and conservatives. And I think that we agree on some common points, one of which is like women and their experiences should not be erased. If a person who is born biologically male and now identifies as a woman is upset that he does not have a period, that is not my problem. Although, personally, I would be all for extending it to men if there was, like, a way to do it to all men. <laughs> but <laughs> that being said, I mean, it's just it's it's just not true. You know, it's interesting you say that, Virginia, because I, I did write several drafts of this article and I went in different directions. But one of the things I sort of wanted to get into was, like, maybe we should be having a more positive conversation about periods. We tend to see them as a very negative thing. I don't know. Maybe there's also good things. Maybe a woman learning to control her emotions, as many women have to do in conjunction with her period is a helpful thing. Like maybe a woman president would be great because she would be less likely to nuke because at least once a month for all of her life, she has had to deal with her emotions being in disarray and has had to make smart choices. So anyway, yeah, it got me thinking about some feminist stuff that, you know, I never saw myself thinking about. And I I don't know, I guess thanks transgender movement. (laughs) And Kate, so what does this kind of mean in a broader sense in terms of moving away from biological realities and the effects that it has on society. Yeah, and that was something, one of the things that the Daily Signal over the past few years that we have struggled a lot with because we try to be a family-friendly publication is how explicit should we be about the physical changes that the transgender movement is generally advocating for? And it's a question that we deal with far more than I would like. I have, in the last year especially, moved toward being more explicit about bodily functions. And the reason for that is not like a desire to, you know, scandalize anyone or anything like that. It's because what we are talking about changes the human body, you know, whether you're discussing hormones that really change who someone is, whether you're discussing genitalia removal or addition, these are big changes. And I think in general, the media has, out of a desire to be family-friendly, try to talk discreetly about it. But I think that we may have been talking so discreetly about all of this that we have missed the horror of what in some cases is being done. And I think about, you know, we don't talk about arms or legs being amputated in the same way. We just don't. We're just much more explicit. And gender dysphoria is a mental condition, a mental illness, I think. I write in the article that I want to treat transgender people with love and respect. I think anyone who is going through this has my deepest sympathy. And also, clearly, it is a pretty intense and suffering condition if you are willing to undergo this kind of medical treatment. I mean, this is quite a violent thing to your body. But to get back to your original question... I think it matters because, you know, we more and more live in a digital world. You know, um, on the Daily Signal podcast, we were just talking about how much time teens spend on screen time. I myself spend way too much time on screen time. There's friends and family that we tend to connect with digitally if we live far away. There's online dating. There's just a lot of ways in which we no longer connect like we are right now in this room, all three of us here together. And I think in some ways that's a good thing, but in other ways, I think we can sometimes get to this weird perspective where we almost think our bodies are irrelevant. Like, oh, I am my mind because my mind can meet you online. And it's, and I mean, I come from a Christian worldview in this, but I don't think our bodies are accidental or irrelevant or like secondary to our minds. And I think that's something that we need to be careful of because I think we go there a lot. And I think you see this a lot 
in these debates over gender identity because people say, well, my mind feels this sex, but my body is the other sex. And obviously it's more complicated than I am addressing it as. But I do think there's this real mind-body split where we really dishonor the body. And so, Kate, how would you respond to those who they feel targeted because of the little female sign on the pads package? Yeah. So I wrote about in my article an experience I had. I was going on a hike. I was walking across England and it was going to take about six days. And the number one priority was to have shoes that didn't hurt because this was going to be a long walk. And I knew I needed to train. And so I read up a lot on it and I have wide feet. And as it ended up, I ordered a bunch of shoes and I found out that hiking companies don't tend to make women's wide hiking. They just sat on Online I was reading and they say, just buy men's. Like, they don't carry both. There's not enough demand. And I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. But when I tried on the shoes, those were the most comfortable. And I was a little embarrassed. I mean, I'm not saying this is exactly equivalent by any means to what a transgender person goes through. But then I think for me it was sort of like, oh, it's a little bit annoying and it makes me a little self-conscious. But I know that I'm female. And it doesn't really matter that – fewer women have this size shoe and the market doesn't make it and label it female, that doesn't mean I'm not a woman. And I think, and this is controversial, but I think part of our issue in society right now is there is so much anger from some transgender activists. And I think that it is fueled, this is all speculation on my part, but I think it is sometimes fueled by an inner disharmony and concern. And it's like, If what other people are saying or doing bothers you this much, I don't think it's them. I think it's you. And I think that that's something that if you do not have that inner peace, if you are not able to sort of laugh off, you know, the shoes not being your gender, I think that's more than a corporate thing. And I I think, and this is really what I get to at the end of the piece, is I think there's a very good chance that the woke activists are going to win And, you know, there'll be no Venus symbols or anything else on period pads. There's going to be a lot of other accommodations made for um, transgender men. And I think they're going to find they still don't feel the peace they think this will bring them. Okay, Kate, last question on this topic. You know, using a tampon or a pad does not make you a female, but transgender activists want to feel included in using tampons or pads, whether or not they're biologically female. So where do you think this is going to stop? What will finally make these transgender people feel like they're, quote, the sex they feel that they are? Yeah, I think that's what I was getting to a little bit in my last answer, that I think that nothing ultimately will. And I think that that is, you know, why I call it the false hope of the transgender language police, is I think they think there's something in the culture that's holding them back. But I think it's probably an inner discord, which in a way, again, it's a very complicated medical condition, but in a way I think makes sense in that like when someone feels alienated from their gender, there might be other factors at work that are perhaps very severe. Walt Hare, a former transgender person, has written for the Daily Signal that um, I believe it was his grandmother used to dress him up as a little girl. Dr. Michelle Cortella, um, a pediatrician, did a video for us where she talked about a little boy patient who I believe started saying he wanted to be a girl or was very interested in girl things. And his parents were like, what's going on? Well, it turned out that he had a younger sister who is, I believe, developmentally disabled. And 
he wanted to be a girl because he thought if you were a girl, your parents pay more attention to you. And in that case, he was dealing with a very real trauma. You know, he felt neglected. And I mean, obviously, that's a tough situation for any parent to deal with. But they were fixing the wrong issue. And I think that, you know, we're seeing more detransitioners, as they call themselves, come out. And I think that we're going to learn that really what they were trying to fix in many to most cases was not their gender, but something else. And I mean, I think in a certain way, if you look at some of the more famous transgender people like Caitlyn Jenner, it's interesting how (laughs) stereotypically female she is in some ways, like high heels, very glitzy, um, very attractive, like top notch cosmetic surgery by all appearances. And I think it's a little costumey. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, I think an actual woman, some women are very girly and like to be like that. But a lot of women would be like, my femininity is not in how much makeup I wear or how gorgeous I look or, you know, it's it's just more than that. And so I, I think that that elusive essence is what they can't get through surgery. No, that's such a great point. Kate, can you let our listeners know where to find your article? Yes, dailysignal.com, which you should all visit and you should sign up for the Morning Bell, which is our daily email newsletter that has all of our great content. And I'm also on Twitter at Katrina Trinko. Well, and if you can believe it or not, this wasn't the only period related news story we have for you this week. Apple just released over 300 new emojis and included in that new set is a period emoji. So my question is both to Virginia and Kate. Why? There's no good reason. (laughs) I would like to be against this, but I also foresee myself potentially using this. (laughs) I don't know. I sometimes I text like my family or close friends or not like, well, girls, (laughs) other women in my life. I I don't burden the guys in my life with this. And I'll be like cramping really bad. And I can probably see myself doing emoji, emoji, emoji of periods. (laughs) the, The period emoji is just a drop of blood, which... I feel like there's way more appropriate emojis like the sick faces and like the crying faces like that much more expresses the period. (laughs) Chocolate. Chocolate. Oh, oh my gosh. Crying and chocolate would be on point. That's a good point, Virginia. I don't know. Well, and I've always just used the punctuation symbol, the period. I'd be like, I just got my period. I don't know why you need a whole new emoji for this. (laughs) I mean, hey, yeah, but. I mean, the youth probably want more emojis. I don't really know. It's not like I'm in my 80s now. <laughs> Those youngins want them more emojis. <laughs> well, let us know. Tweet at us using hashtag problematic women. And if you would ever use the period emoji. And Kate, before you leave, we wanted to get your opinion on one last topic. A Kmart in Australia recently pulled the Kitty Bride costume from its store after a petition against it was launched by a local Melbourne woman. She claimed the costume trivializes child brides and said in a Change.org petition to, quote, tell Kmart this is beyond inappropriate and offensive and that they have a social responsibility to pull this item off the shelves. It continued, child marriage means child abuse and torture in its worst forms. The petition received over 500 signatures with one signee saying, quote, they totally agree. This is absurd and role defining. After Kmart apologized, and Kmart in Australia is separate than the Kmart brand in the United States, just an FYI, it apologized and took it out of the stores. But then, of course, another petition was made to bring the costume back, and that gained even more signatures, 3,700. 
Signers of this petition said kids should be kids. One mother said, quote, my daughter has asked multiple times for a dress like mummy had. Remember, it's Australia. It is a dress up, nothing else. You're ruining it for everyone. So do you think Kmart should have taken this costume off the shelves? No. I, I mean, <laughs> gosh, it's hard to know where to start with this one. Um, obviously, there are still child brides. It's a very real issue. It's one we need to pay attention to. I am not aware of Australia having a particularly bad problem with this evil. I think if it was a society where child brides were regularly or semi-regularly occurring, I might be more like, yeah, this is inappropriate. Yeah. No, I think this is very overblown. At the same time, <laughs> I don't love girls dressing up as brides. Maybe like this is another latent feminism in me. <laughs> I didn't do it as a child. I don't remember being against it. I don't know. I, I did want to dress up as a princess, but I just never remember wanting to dress up as a bride. I think that we <laughs> we have a wedding culture in the U.S. that is like... I don't know, on crack cocaine when it comes to spending <laughs> money. Um, you know, and we read more and more that people are spending higher and higher amounts. And this has real implications. People are delaying when they get married, not because they haven't found the right person, but because they want to have a very expensive wedding. There's also, you know, issues where people use money they could have used for a down payment on a wedding. And I love going to extravagant weddings. I'm not married myself, so I might be a total hypocrite on this topic. <laughs> Unclear. But I do think that we over-enthuse about weddings in the U.S. And I hope the happiest day in my life is not my wedding day. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, you know, having a child, like a quieter day of peace with family. I, I don't know. I just think that sometimes we put so much on the wedding and childhood dreams. I don't know. I wouldn't be a Grinch who would like tell a little girl to take a bride costume off. But I'm not. I also wouldn't buy a bride costume for, you know, a little girl. I think the thing with this is it just like it it's where does it stop? Like if a, suddenly a bride costume isn't okay, then it's like, well, what about soldier costumes? Because there's it's another massive problem is child mm -hmm. soldiers. And then it just opens up this whole kind of can of worms of like, oh, gosh, like what can we dress up as? Um, so I don't know. I think I'm kind of with the mom that says, eh, it's just dress up like if the child wants to be a bride, let her be a bride. You know, like you said, Kate, if, if it was in a society, I think where that was a big issue. I, I agree. Like, that's very raw and it's real. And it's an issue that's facing that culture. You'd be really aware of that and sensitive to that. But in much of the Western world, this isn't a major issue. Now, Lauren, you were a fan of bride costumes for kids, right? I am. I think little girls, they just want to be pretty and wear a pretty dress and they see brides on TV. I mean, think about it. Most girls that age want to marry their dad. It's like their mind is just in such a pure place. And if it makes a little girl happy, then why would you want to make this into some political statement? So just the PC police going too far again. But if you do have a problematic daughter who is dressing up like a bride or just really anything, we want to see the photos. So make sure you tweet at us, hashtag problematic women. Uh, we just love to see kids get in the spirit of Halloween, even if it is as a bride. All right. Well, you can catch Kate every Tuesday through Friday on the Daily Signal podcast. Kate, it's always such a pleasure to have you in the studio. And it was it was, I sound so sarcastic, but it actually was really nice to be here. And listeners, you probably don't know this, but one of the most fun parts of my job is discussing with Lauren and Virginia and Kelsey and everyone else involved with this show the topics for Problematic Women every week. So it's fun to actually be on. All right. We'll be right back with our Problematic Woman of the Week. Tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger government? 
Become a part of the Heritage Foundation. We're fighting the rising tide of homegrown socialism while developing conservative solutions that make families more free and more prosperous. Find out more at heritage.org. It's now my favorite time of the show where we crown our problematic woman of the week. So this week, it is Sarah Thomas. If you haven't heard of her, uh, Fox News just released a story on her. Thomas and her husband posted a photo on Facebook. This was last year that said, please don't abort. We will adopt your baby. The photo ended up going viral. And a little bit later, they wrote, we have been completely overwhelmed by what God has done over the past week. Dozens of expectant mothers contacted us, many of whom were contemplating or planning abortions. Many of those mothers are now considering parenting their babies and others are actively pursuing adoption. And both Sarah and her husband are now in the process of adopting an 11-year-old boy from Bulgaria. And wow, stories like this, they're so important for people who are considering abortion to remember that there are families out there that would love to adopt. You know, one of the primary arguments that we hear from the pro-choice community is that, well, if abortion is banned, what are you going to do with all of those babies? There are millions of babies. Where are they going to go? Who is going to take care of them? And the most practical and powerful option and answer to that is adoption. So, you know, Lauren, how do you think we can really be further promoting this message of adoption as the solution to abortion? I think it's just conversations that we have with one another every day. There's not much right now we can do about kind of the media and how abortion is just normalized. We talked last week about how it was in a Law & Order SVU episode about crazy pro-life people. But I think we just need to be talking with folks and be real that it's, it's a human life and there's dignity in this human life and that abortion is not okay. And that there are so many other options for these women and abortion's the worst thing to happen for both the mother and the child. And I'm really glad we're highlighting Sarah's story because she's just an example of a a mom that wants another baby. And there's so many people who want more children and and want to step up and, and take the initiative. There's so many couples out there that aren't able to have their own children and are looking to adopt. Just normalizing these conversations and standing up for every person and Demanding better for our friends and our family. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's it's normalizing it because when you meet someone who's adopted, it's always like, oh, wow, like that's amazing. You must be some sort of superhuman. But I think it's something that like should just be much more normal in our culture that we're caring for the people around us. And that includes children who need the love of parents. You know, adoption is something that I'm super passionate about. I want to do it one day. And my hope is that increasingly, as pro-life voices get louder, we'll kind of see that decline of abortions with that rise of adoptions. Well, Virginia, thank you so much for finding that story and sharing it with us and crowning Sarah Thomas as our Problematic Woman of the Week. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, please take a moment to subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Recently, we've gotten very kind reviews. And Virginia and I do the show on top of our own jobs. And it's really exhausting. So part of the kind reviews is just it gives us the energy to, to keep this up. And also, it helps us be found by other women and other people who need 
need to hear the message that it's okay to be independent. It's okay to not think like the Women's March and all these feminist organizations want you to think. So thank you for your support. And if you haven't gotten the chance, it's such a little thing and it can make such a big difference. Yeah, we really do love to hear from you all. So please take a moment to do that. And of course, have a great rest of your week and a happy Halloween. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Kelsey Bowler, Lauren Evans, and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Brie Pay